Hey guys, welcome back to Crafting Fitness. Today I'll be discussing in-season aerobic training for the CrossFit athlete. Mike is out of town at a competition, so it'll just be me today. This is part two of a three-part series on in-season training for the CrossFit athlete. In this episode, I cover the differences between aerobic potential, what I call your ceiling, and working underneath that potential, what I call your efficiency and economy. How you can assess someone's predisposition for aerobic training, the value in aerobic training, the differences in design for in-season versus off-season aerobic training, examples showing differences in both cyclical and mixed pieces of work, and finally, how manipulating constraints and chaos play a vital role in the progression and development of one's aerobic potential inside the sport of CrossFit. If you enjoy this episode, please like and share with others as it helps us build our reach and be able to share more great content with the public. Hey guys, so today I'm flying solo. Mike is at the Legends competition in Cookville, Tennessee with uh, one of his athletes and one of mine is there as well. Um, So he's there supporting them and I'm on the podcast alone. And I'm going to be talking about aerobic training in season versus out of season. This is part two of our three-part series where the first one was on strength training. And so now we're going to dive into aerobic training. So the first thing that's worth defining or uh, laying the foundation for is when I say aerobic training, I'm referring to repeatable training, repeatable work. Hopefully that is a clear enough definition for us that we can use in this conversation because you know, aerobic training can be gray and uh, like, okay, well, what's the difference between aerobic training and anaerobic training or power training or, you know, there's a lot of nuance inside of, let's say, energy system uh, semantics. So... Without getting in the weeds of that, <clears throat> hopefully we can just say aerobic training is repeatable training, uh, work that you can repeat. And then we can use that as our uh, foundation to dialogue on. So the first piece that I would uh, prefer that you guys remembered or took note of is in-season is all about sharpening and testing. So when we get into in-season, the intent and the focus from the coach's lens and also the client's lens is sharpening themselves, getting them ready, building confidence, and getting ready to test themselves because we're we're closing in on the competition. Whereas in off-season, we're really focused on building and refining. Of course, there's overlap between the two, but it's nice if we zoom out and we think about the big picture, how do you distinguish between the two? Because knowing how they're different will, of course, trickle down into your progressions, your protocols, the language you use in the training, the structuring of the training. And so with aerobic training, it's just knowing that there's a significant difference between the two times of the year is going to drastically shift how you would look at designing and using progressions so remember in season 
sharpening and testing, off-season, building and refining. So let's get into some of my initial notes here. <clears throat> Similar to strength training, everyone has a maximum potential for their aerobic system. So we all have a ceiling that we can achieve. And a real simple way of looking at it is you can kind of notice what type of sports people have been drawn to because their genetic potential with aerobic adaptation will predispose them to certain sports or certain activities that would facilitate the use of that. So if you work with someone and they did a lot of running, they did a lot of swimming, they did a lot of uh, cycling, they did uh, cross-country skiing, they did um, any type of sport, rowing, any type of sport that's really drawn out and we could classify as more of an aerobic sport, those people might be more predisposed to a top end or a higher ceiling than other people. Whereas if you think about a weightlifter, a, a sprinter, uh, a sprint cyclist, uh, high jump, uh, triple jump, think of these more explosive sports. Even I mean, even you, you can make argument around football players like a, a running back, uh, but maybe that gets a little gray. <clears throat> but you can just look at the the sports in which somebody is predisposed to to give you an idea of does their system have a predisposition for uh, a certain method of work or a certain method of expression of, of energy. And then that will, as a coach, inform how you're looking at, okay, is this something that is going to need a lot of development because it's not naturally something they have. So we're going to have to put a lot of work in trying to move them across the spectrum. Or is this something that they do have and that they are predisposed to such that we probably don't need as much time devoted to this area of work and we can sharpen it when needed and give it touches to remind the system of, okay, we're actually good at this and this, this makes sense to us. And you would see that with certain clients where it may be even you don't even have to look into the history you can just watch the training you can watch results you can look at past results and just go yeah this person is a lot more enduring this person's a lot more powerful okay now i need to let that inform my decision making process in the training so the second point so first point everybody has a maximum potential for the aerobic system so we can think of that as the ceiling you can also think about that as your vo2 max how much oxygen you can uptake and so traditionally, uh, rowers, cross-country skiers, cyclists, marathon runners have some of the highest recorded VO2 maxes, over 80. Um, I, I don't want to butcher the, the units here because somebody will, uh, VO2 max units, I think it's mil, uh, milliliters of oxygen per kilogram per minute. Uh, <clears throat> Milliliters of oxygen per minute per kilogram. Okay, I was on I was on point. Or you could do liters of oxygen per minute. But when I said 80 plus, that's referring to milliliters. Now, what's interesting about that is those that have the highest VO2 maxes tested usually aren't the best in their respective sports. Which at, at face value, you would think that's weird. You'd assume that they would be the best. The... The uh, hidden variable here is 
the economy, the efficiency underneath that ceiling is what separates the best from the not so, or from the mediocre, let's say. So Kipchoge, who is the Tiger Woods of marathon running, he he's a perfect example of somebody who doesn't have the highest potential for road capacity looking at solely VO2 max, his absolute score in his field of uh, competitors, but he has the highest movement, uh, maybe movement, uh, highest uh, physiological economy. So his system works extremely well underneath his ceiling, better than everyone else. So he can extract out more ability and potential than other people can. And this kind of parallels well with that idea of about focusing on minimums to raise maximums. When, when you focus more on bringing the floor up to the ceiling, your now of course some of this is going to be genetically dependent. So Kipchoge, just as a quick side note, he of course maybe didn't have the absolute ability that some of his competitors do, but he had you know the environment, the training, the uh, cognitive repertoire, um, the the di discipline and uh, adaptation rate to upgrade his efficiency and economy such that he could become the best. So there are variables that I'm not necessarily acknowledging when I'm talking about focusing on minimums to raise maximums here, but stick with me. So when you, when you keep that mentality in mind that you can apply to any aspect of training, even life as well, you're, you're operating inside of what you're capable of or what you have control over, which is what can move the needle and move the floor up to the ceiling. Whereas if you are focusing on the ceiling and just trying to move the ceiling, it's going to be a lot harder because you're going to bump into the, the absolute potential, the, the amount you can actually get to. So you will run into a point where you can't, you can't go any further. So shifting the, the mindset to, okay, well, <clears throat> let's, work with, let's work inside of something that I, I can control, I can manipulate, I can improve to a greater degree. And most often that will be a more fruitful uh, approach. So those two notes. One, everyone has a maximum potential for their aerobic system, just like strength training. So as a coach or an athlete, whoever's listening to this, you want to take stock of figuring out where, what that might be. Am I predisposed to more aerobic adaptations or in, uh, activities that would um, lend themselves well to somebody who has a great aerobic system or am I somebody that's more powerful and uh, I like tr strength training more? Because this will help inform how you look at training and how you look at improving characteristics that are required for the, for the tests and the competitions you train for. And then secondarily, thinking about improving, bringing the ground floor up to the ceiling, improving economy and efficiency. And this is something I talk about a lot because this is something that we have a lot of control over as an athlete and also as a coach in improving that can really get us to extract out as much potential in someone as possible. So the first one, you don't have a ton of control over, just like with strength. But the second one, the efficiency economy piece, you do have a good amount of control over that you can manipulate uh, to your advantage. So uh, now I have a section that says, how are we defining aerobic training, which I kind of talked about initially, 
but I'll just share uh, what I have written here just to give a little further context. <clears throat> so I have bouts of work that are repeatable for the athlete, primarily driven by aerobic metabolism. And again, we're not going to get into the weeds around physiology in that sense. That could be another conversation. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Then the next piece I have is one of the main variables that will change as the season progresses is the speed and difficulty of these aerobic intervals. At a certain point, there can be they can bump up with unsustainable work that we would classify as pain training or extreme domain work as classified by critical power language. So that's a a what would you call that? It's a it's a framework for thinking about different rates of work that are um, scientifically based on physiology and metabolism. Um, so critical power, you can look that up. It's very informative and, it, and it, it adds, let's say, another layer of understanding around different work rates. So it's, it's not something I'm super knowledgeable in or have studied uh, well enough to speak clearly on, so I'm not even going to try to elaborate. Um, so I'll allow you to, to do the, to go dive deeper into that, but their ex the extreme domain would be one that we would classify as the same as like pain training or unsustainable work. That's at really high rates of, of, uh, work that are, are painful and you can't repeat unless you have an excessive amount of rest, a lot more rest than the, the length of time that the task required. So now we're moving into why do we perform aerobic training? Like what, what's the purpose of this, especially in the context of the CrossFit? Because that's important. We, we need to anchor nearly all this discussion around the competitive CrossFitter because uh, it will it'll make things seem um, a lot more applicable because we're talking about in-season training for the CrossFitter. So why do we perform aerobic training? First piece I have is building aerobic power capacity in the overall system. So your aerobic system, which is a catch-all term, that acts as the base, the base of the pyramid for everything else that you're going to develop or um, cultivate in your training and in your, your experience, your, your career. So the, uh, the strength and dexterity of your aerobic system, maybe that's not the right word, but that's okay. That's going to be the, you know, how big the base is is going to depend is going to be is going to dictate how high the pyramid goes. So your aerobic system is very important for those three pieces alone for developing the power of your system, for developing the capacity of your system, and for developing the system as a whole. The second piece is promoting recovery. So the the be the right word the the breadth of your aerobic system is going to play a vital role in how well you can recover from intense bouts of work. So that's what we're really thinking about here when we think about recovery is when you do something intense, how well how fast can you recover from it, adapt positively such that you could go do it again. And that's what we really want, especially in the sport of CrossFit is you're doing 6 to 8 tough tasks over multiple days and amongst other variables, whoever can recover the fastest after each of those bouts of work is usually the one who has more resources available as the weekend progresses. And as a result, they are usually the person who's winning. So the aerobic system 
is going to help promote recovery and, and, and further strengthen your ability to recover from intense bouts of work. It also allows you to build training volume. So it helps you dampen the contractions that you perform. So they become less tense, less intense and less challenging for your system, which allows you to do more of them over time, which allows you to build more volume. And the sport of CrossFit is in one sense, arguably a sport of volume. So you do need to build a lot of volume to play the game. And one of the ways you're going to get to building a lot of volume is you have to have an aerobic system to help promote the dampening of those contractions and also the recovery from those contractions. You can do them more often. We also perform aerobic training to build and develop pace. So you have to, you have to, you have to develop your own pace, your own framework for thinking about the different gears of effort you have. And your anaerobic training, good aerobic training, will help you understand what is an easy pace for you on the rower. What is an easy pace for you on the bike? What is an easy pace for you on the ski? What is an easy run pace? What is a moderate pace? What is a hard pace? What is a max effort pace? What is a pace you can hold for a thousand meters on the rower after you've done 20 minutes of other work? that you can hold for the entire 1K, maybe you have a nice little sprint at the finish. So all, all of those aspects of understanding around pace can be developed through the practice of aerobic training. So through great progressions, exposure, and uh, different methods, you're gonna upgrade your understanding of your system and your abilities and your gears such that when you compete, you'll be able to leverage that a lot better than other people. So aerobic training acts as a tool for us to build and develop pace. And then the last thing, which I think is actually the most important reason why we perform aerobic training is it builds and develops patience. So this is huge. I, I could probably stop there and move on and let you guys just you know, think about, well, why is patience important in anything? And you can all answer that question easily. So it's not like I have to belabor it. Uh, but aerobic training, because it's t it requires a lot of time and it requires a lot of repetition and it requires a lot of focus and presence, it's, it's helping cultivate patience. And that's huge for any endeavor that uh, is worth going after. There's going to be a huge time component to anything that's admirable and worth pursuing. And if that's the case, then you're going to have to stay patient longer than others. And you could arguably say that those who do succeed have probably had more patience amongst other variables than others. And so if you can become a person who is known for being patient and you, um, you see yourself as someone who is patient, that can become a, uh, a virtue um, that can really help you in life. Now, without going down this rabbit hole, you can't, you don't want to hide behind patience uh, and prevent yourself from taking action because sometimes that can happen where people like they, they, they're afraid to act. So they hide behind quote unquote patience when in reality they need to act and they need to move forward and they need to, they need to push whoever it might be. So you have to be careful and not using that virtue as a vice of sorts to prevent you from facing something that you need to face. So we'll leave it at that. So why do we perform aerobic training? It builds the overall system. It promotes recovery. 
It allows us to build training volume, which allows us to dampen the contractions. It allows us to build and develop pace, and it allows us to build and develop patience. So I have this little blurb. I'm gonna go ahead and read it now. Aerobic training when using cyclical machines is the best way to introduce someone to interval training where pace and effort can be moderated fairly well due, the, due to the feedback of pace from the machines. Additionally, the minimal amount of eccentric contractions, not including running, keeps the overall cost and fatigue from the activity very low, allowing for lots of work to be performed on a weekly basis. So using ERGs, cyclical machines, to practice aerobic training is, a, is the best way to start teaching someone and showing somebody pacing, repeatable intervals, uh, understand different gears, learning how to do extended bouts of work with a very low cost of fatigue on the system. So that's one of the uh, best ways to introduce aerobic training for people. And I'm sure a lot of you have done aerobic training, aerobic intervals, and can probably reflect on some of the first few times you, you did it and notice how different it felt than a traditional one-off CrossFit workout or a partner workout or whatever it might be where, okay, you're going to do, you're going to row 500 meters and then rest 90 seconds. You're going to do it 10 times. Like, whoa, 10 times. That's a lot. Okay. And the goal is of course that, you know, you're maintaining your split across all 10. Oh, okay. Well then now I got to, you know, I can't, I can't go so hard on the first one that I can't recover in 90 seconds to do it again. So now I have to regulate my pace. Now I'm figuring out what that pace is such that I can sustain it for 10 sets or repeat it for 10 sets. Um, I have to stay patient and focus so I can hit all of these 10 sets. You know, there's a lot that you're almost unconsciously having to learn or, or pay attention to just by doing the actual task, which is great because that's what you're of course trying to do is you're trying to do things that are going to force you to upgrade your understanding and awareness to make you more capable and competent at the practice of training and competing. Okay, next little blurb I have is, as discussed in our episode on how to improve muscle fatigue, aerobic, which I think is, uh, is that episode number four maybe, aerobic training is the best way to develop your breathing apparatus, respiration, inspiration, which is the first step in developing work capacity. I'm sure somebody could argue with me on this, and that's fine. I'm not you know, I'm not saying this is gospel, but you can make a strong case that good aerobic training is going to help start the process of developing your ability to breathe in and to inhale and exhale and start to uh, make you f build a better connection there so you understand the different uh, rates of inha in inhalation and exhalation, um, how to leverage that through nasal breathing or nasal and mouth breathing or faster uh, exhalation through your mouth when your work rate's really high so you can push off more CO2. There's all these little nuanced pieces around your physiology that you can upgrade and better leverage regardless if you know the actual like minute things that are happening internally just by practicing good aerobic work and progressing it accordingly. Okay, so now let's get into the nuts and bolts of it, or the X's and O's. 
how does aerobic training differ from in-season and off-season? So here we go. I got five. I got five points on this. First one, intention and attitude shift. The athlete knows the competition is getting closer. It's easier to push harder in January than it is in July, assuming you're not competing in August or September. But let's say you're competing in February and March. It's way easier to push yourself in January than it would be in July. So there's an intentional and attitude shift in your efforts, bouts of efforts with the work you're doing. So that's 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 number one. And that's a that's a big one. If anybody's done the open or the quarterfinals, you can instantly think of, yeah, the, I, I know when the shift is coming and I can just feel my body's working differently because I'm getting closer to the date when I, you know, Every, I'm laying everything on the line, and we're going to see what the last year has has uh, has produced for me. Number two, volume and length shift. All these are shifts. Uh, volume and length shift. The total volume of work will start to decrease as we are starting to increase the overall speed of work. The length of these intervals could decrease as well due to the in- increase in intensity. So general principle if volume is increasing, then intensity would decrease and vice versa. So as we're getting closer to competition, you're able to push harder. We're probably moderating total volume to allow for greater overall intensity to start developing the exposure and the confidence for that level of, or that speed of work. So that is something we have to be mindful of because if we're, if we're holding volume, but we're building intensity, that that could be uh, the fatigue cost could rise too much and now we're not going to recover as well or it's going to pull away from some of the other training pieces that we're trying to develop in preparation for the competition number three pace and effort shift with the total volume of work decreasing the paces will be increasing faster than than they would be in the summertime with faster paces comes an increase in effort and output. Okay, well, that was a little redundant because that was pretty much what I just said for two. Um, so maybe if I was to better uh, delineate between the two. So the f- number two is volume and length shift. So total volume and then the length of the intervals is 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 uh, truncating. It's condensing. And then pace and effort. So as a result of that, the pace and effort are going to be going up. We're going to be moving faster, there's going to be higher intention and and more intensity as a byproduct. Number four, layout and method shift. The format of interval work will be different in December and January than it would be in August and September. The methods you will choose, are you, the methods you will use could also be different as well. So with a, a change in volume and length, pace and effort, intention and attitude, the tools, which would be the methods, will start to shift. And so the layouts and the structuring of the intervals will also change as well. So let's do it. Let me, let's do an easy example. Um, Well, I do have some below, but let's do like a short one just for this one in particular. Let's say in July, you had to do 10 sets of um, one minute, Assault, um, let me see, let me look at these examples I wrote because I don't want to, yeah, yeah, let's, let me, hold on, just, I got one more, then I'll go to the examples and it'll make sense. 
I don't want to repeat myself twice. So the fifth and final um, difference piece between in-season and off-season for aerobic training is what I call blurring of the lines. So when in-season, aerobic work is bordering on threshold pace. There's a, this is in italics, there's a convergence, convergence between levels of effort and maintainable power. For example, let's say your 1K row PR is a 259. Your training sets might be at a 306 for four sets, and you can maintain that. It's not easy. It's hard, but you can do it. Whereas in the off-season, if you were doing these hard 1K repeats, maybe you're at like a 320. So the gap is getting smaller here between what is threshold, what is max effort, and then what is repeatable power work. So there's a blurring of the lines between the two. It's like they're almost the same thing. And so as you get closer to competition, you're, clo you're trying to close that gap because when you're out of season, the gap is bigger because you're not spending so much time near your threshold or near your max, your max potential. Your, um, what would you call it, max potential? Or let's say your, your current uh, top end ability. That's a better way of saying it. So you're, you're trying, you know, think of it this way too. If you're building more volume and work, then there is going to be a bigger gap there because if you're, if you're getting closer to your top end ability or threshold pace, you can't do a ton of it because you're just going to get tired and you need more time to recover because it's such a hard effort. So you can't, you, you can't train there all year long. You'll just, you'll get burnt out or you'll get injured. So you're leveraging the times of year to work on the base foundation pieces, which then allow you to go up a few levels and then finally get towards the top of the pyramid where, okay, now we're doing, you know, 306 1K repeats, which is seven seconds slower than our PR, and we can hit it for multiple sets. And it's like, okay, now we're sharp and ready and our system's like very dialed. So how does aerobic training differ from in-season and off-season? Our five points were intention and attitude shift, volume and length shift, pace and effort shift, layout and method shift, and then finally blurring of the lines. There's a convergent, con I can't say that very well. There's a convergence <laughs> between levels of effort and maintainable power. That's the blurring of the lines. Okay, so let me give you some examples of the differences. This will better highlight how, I, how I'm kind of thinking about it. Okay, and again, I made these, at least in my mind, pretty vanilla, just so the point can be made. You can, of course, get very fancy and creative with how you want to do these, uh, but at the end of the day, we got to come back to the principles. What are the principles? And we've laid those out, so let's see what that would look like. So off-season, we have three sets, 20 cows on the assault bike at 60% and easy pace. 20 cows on the salt bike at 75%, a moderate pace, and then 20 cows on the salt bike at 90%, a tough pace. Rest, walk, three minutes. Five minute rest. And then you're gonna do the same format for the same amount of sets, for the same amount of calories on the rower. And that percentage of effort is a perceived effort. You could do it off of a test if you really wanted to. I, I'm more hesitant on that, and maybe I'll talk about that another time with Mike. Um, but with aerobic training, I, I'm a big proponent of getting people to better connect to perception of effort uh, with the pace. And then that's where they're going to start creating the 
the framework and understanding of their gears and their uh, perceived effort rates with different machines at different paces in different contexts. So if they become handcuffed to a heart rate monitor um, that to dictate like, okay, well, this is the pace based on this zone or this heart rate number, that can be somewhat limiting if they're in a more chaotic situation where they have to self-regulate and come up with a strategy on the fly to figure out what pace is best for this circumstance to get the best score or to beat the person next to them. So um, I, try to, I try to make sure the environment is cultivating better self-awareness and understanding and by extension, confidence and uh, um, belief for when it matters and they need to rely on that to succeed. So three sets of the bike, incremental increase in pace. So only 30% uh, of the work each set is hard and then 60 or say 35% and then 65% of it is, is, uh, is easier or moderate to easy. And then same with the row, three minutes uh, of rest. Now, if we look at a similar idea, but in season, we have three sets, 25 cal assault bike at 75% moderate, 25 cal assault bike at 95% hard, rest two minutes, five minute rest, and then the same structuring for the row. So now 50% of the work per set is hard. I have 95%. So it's harder than it was in the off season. And the total volume of intensive work is higher. The, the total amount of work in the piece is a little bit lower. I made it simple. So there was, a, there was 60 cows per set in the off-season example, and now there's 50 cows uh, by three sets. So that's 150 cows total. There's 180 cows. So there's a little bit of a, there's a, um, there's a little bit less total volume to highlight that piece we talked about with increase in uh, intensity, there's going to be a drop in overall volume. And then if we looked at mixed pieces, I have, uh, how much more do I have? Okay, I'm good on time. Uh, yeah, this is fine. I'll go through this. So in season, uh, I have these 10 minute AMRAPs. So I have three of them. Oh no, let me do the off season first. Sorry. Um, there we go. Okay, off season. Uh, I'm using 10 minute AMRAPs to show uh, differences in mixed work uh, based on in-season, off-season. So this is off-season, two sets at 85-90% sustained power, 10-minute AMRAP, 21-cal row, 15 JHC sit-ups, nine double kettlebell deadlifts, rest four minutes, 10-minute AMRAP, 21-cal assault bike, 15 burpees, nine double kettlebell front squat, rest four minutes. So you do 40 minutes total of work. You do both of those twice. And then in-season, I have three 10 minute AMRAPs. First one, 10 minute AMRAP at 90% high effort. So the language is changing there a little bit, which for myself and for my clients, I'm, I'm shifting that language based upon what intent we're trying to get out of the work. And this is something I'll chat with them on and we'll have a discussion so that they're understanding what I mean by this language. And so that when it's shifting, they understand the shift that's required uh, in it. And you'll look at what's inside of the AMRAP and you'll al already acknowledge, oh yeah, there is a shift because these are harder than the previous example. So 10 minute AMRAP at 90% high effort, five ring muscle ups, 
Seven power cleaned overhead at 105, 155. Nine bar facing burpees. Rest five minutes, so a little bit more rest. 10 minute AMRAP at 90% high effort. 10 toast bar, 10 box jump over, 10 strict handstand push up, 10 box jump over. Rest five minutes, 10 minute AMRAP, 90% high effort. 1,000 meter row in remaining time. Five thrusters at 105, 155, 50 double unders. So an AMRAP of those two after the row. So notice the, we'll notice the decrease in volume. So there was 40 minutes in the first one. There's 30 here. So that's an obvious one. Notice the uh, intentional shift. So the language piece around the percentage and high effort versus sustained power. Uh, notice the, the difficulty shift. So the second example, those are a lot harder. So that's of course gonna also speak to the intentional shift. So them noticing that this is looking more and more like the sport or like uh, the competition they're going to have to do. That's impacting the intention, the intention that's going to go into the piece. Okay, so let's get into my additional notes category. This is kind of my last, uh, last category I have here. So I have a little blurb that I'm going to read off. The differences between in-season and off-season will change quite a bit depending on who you are working with. If you have a more novice athlete, the changes won't be too drastic. There needs to be a connection to what they've been doing. If the jump is too big, they won't be able to adapt and organize around the new task. If someone is more advanced, the jump might need to be bigger to force them to adapt and organize around the, the new task. Let me say that again. If someone is more advanced, the jump might need to be bigger to force them to adapt and organize around the new task. So what do I mean by that? A really great principle for program design is the more novice or a beginner someone is, you're going to have a lot more constraints in the training and a lot less chaos. And then as people get better, you're going to have less constraints and more chaos. So that's what I'm speaking to here is as the year of training goes on, if somebody has a younger training age and we would classify them as a novice, the in-season and off-season won't look a lot different. And arguably, they might not even be competing because they're not ready because they don't have enough volume built. So there's, there's a, a, a nice consistent theme and progression in their training throughout the year because the jumps can't be that big because the system is trying to learn, uh, upgrade their, their understanding, upgrade their uh, ability to contract muscles, turn other ones off, upgrade their motor sequencing. There's so much learning that has to go on with the novice, which is why if you change it too much, they haven't had enough time to consolidate all of the skills and the movements and the sequencing. So you have to be very gentle with the progression there, which is also why if you do it right, they get better really quick because you're giving them enough exposure such that they can bring those things online and really start to understand and uh, cultivate the ability to, to express those things. Now, as people get more advanced, all of that is built into their system already. So now if you wanna stretch them, you're probably gonna to need to give them more chaos. You're gonna to need to challenge their ability to self-organize around a new uh, uncertain, uh, unknown circumstance. So that's the fun from a coach's lens in knowing where someone sits, what are the best principles to abide by to get them better, 
And then what are the tools and the methods that go inside of that to cultivate that adaptation? So the next piece I have, as athletes get better and acquire a more developed aerobic system, you have to continue stretching them in order to move them closer to their aerobic potential. Here's an example. So for the novice, 10 minutes at 85% sustained pace, 30 cal row, 20 walking lunges, 10 burpees, no jump at the top. For an intermediate, we have 10 minutes at 85-90% sustained power, 21 cal row, 15 wall balls, 9 box jump over. Advanced, 10 minutes at 90% high effort, 5 bar muscle ups, 10 thrusters, 15 bar facing burpees. Oof, that sounds uh, rough. Notice though in those three examples, the shift in not only constraints and difficulty, but also the layout and the language shift. So from sustained pace, sustained power, high effort, uh, 85%, 85% to 90%, 90%. So that's highlighting the, the, the shift in constraints and chaos that you're trying to make while people are developing and becoming more competent and uh, capable with their, I mean, because this would be, of course, like mixed aerobic potential. Um, this isn't just cyclical work, but that's just highlighting how as people get better, you can't keep giving the advanced person row lunges and burpees. Like it's, uh, that's, that's like recovery work. So if you're trying to actually stretch them and, and push them closer to their ceiling, then you have to, you got to give them things that are going to facilitate that adaptation because you could argue those three things, let's say for the novice, that 10 minute AMRAP is, you know, an eight, an eight out of 10 difficulty for them. And then for the inter intermediate, that's an eight out of 10 difficulty. And for the advanced, it's an eight out of 10 difficulty. So if let's say they all perceive it to be an eight out of 10, look how different the the pieces of work are, they're so different, yet the athlete, the client, perceives it to be the same level of difficulty. And so that just reinforces that idea of how the, the, the training and the writing of the training has to move as this person is developing their system. Uh, and then the, the note I had at the conclusion of those 10-minute AMRAPs is uh, on paper, neither the novice nor intermediate could make that advanced 10-minute AMRAP repeatable. It would be very hard for them. This is where the layout of the tasks become very important. If you gave the advanced athlete the first or second AMRAP, it might not even be enough to stretch them, especially in season, and it wouldn't. So that's just kind of re uh, repeating what I, uh, what I just mentioned. So that is... That's the, the end of my little uh, spiel on uh, aerobic training, in-season versus uh, out-of-season or off-season. So hopefully uh, you, you took away some nuggets from this and it'll be helpful for you, especially those of you who might be, um, well, not might be, you are moving into in-season training since this is, you know, it's December 9th, I'm recording this. So for those of you competing in February, March, and April, May, you're now moving into that time of year. So some of these principles could be helpful in your uh, design. Um, if you need help or guidance with this, you of course can reach out to us at Crafted Coaching where we specialize in getting people ready for competition and also for people who wanna have great well-balanced fitness. Um, so you can send myself an email, sam at crafted.coach or you can 
go on our website or our Instagram account, send a message, you know, don't let uh, that deter you. If you, or if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Also, if it's simplest, you can just email me or send me a DM and I'll uh, gladly have a conversation or answer questions you might have. Um, so last thing, just to plant back in your brain so you can at least walk away with this. Remember, in season is always synonymous with sharpening and testing and off season is always synonymous with building and refining. If you always let that guide your decision-making process, you'll set yourself up for success. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you guys have any topics or questions you'd like Mike and I to talk about, please send me a, an email or a direct message. Uh, we would love to dialogue on something that you guys are interested in learning about or hearing at least our thoughts on. Hope you have a great day and we'll, we'll see you next time. Crafting Fitness is powered by Crafted Coaching. To learn more about individually designed fitness and to explore our range of goal-driven programs, head to www.crafted.coach. Thank you.